Hey. hey, you're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia. Today we have yet another awesome guest on the show, but you'll find out why I'm a little bit excited about this one. We have Tarrant Dirksen, who is the director and founder of the New Norfolk Distillery. Welcome to the show, Tarrant. Hello. Welcome. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully starting with an easy question. What is your job? Yeah. So as you said, um, the director and founder of New Norfolk Distillery. So I am the founder of a rum distillery in Tasmania. So we're Tasmania's first dedicated rum distillery. So in Tasmania, there's a lot of great whiskey and gin, like a plenty. It's, there's a lot of great distilleries making those down here, but my passion is with rum. So I decided to start up a rum distillery in Tasmania. So my job is sort of more or less running the management and making sure it all goes well and um, also developing new products and directing where we go from day to day. That sounds pretty cool. And I feel like while it might not be the dream job of high school students, it might be the dream job of some slightly older students. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so for me, it was a um, it was something I wanted to do for a very long time, um, something I wanted to do probably much later in life as well. But I decided that I wanted a career change and decided to start up the rum distillery much sooner than planned. But I'm much happier about doing that. So, yeah. Fantastic. We might come back to your story in a bit. Do you, do you have any idea, like, I feel like rum's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person who likes it. Why <laughs> did it take so long for Tassie to get its a dedicated distillery? There's a big whiskey culture, like I said before, down, in, down here in Tasmania. And whiskey, it's a bit simpler to make in the sense that uh, they've got access to the materials and there's a lot of like grain and there's a lot of good access to sort of peat and that sort of stuff down here to make make a really good whiskey. But the problem with um, making rum in Tasmania is that there's no local source of sugarcane or, or molasses for that matter because sugarcane only grows in tropical and subtropical areas. So as a result of that, we have to bring molasses down to Tasmania to make rum. Are you... That, that actually makes a lot of sense now that you pointed out. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> rum is obviously a more tropical beverage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so uh, rum, like, originally, like, was first made in the Caribbean in those sort of areas um, on those plantations. And obviously the Caribbean is one of the biggest sources of rum in the world now. And then if people had access to a sugarcane, like, plantation, like they had fields of sugarcane next door, they could quite simply make rum. Not an option in Tasmania because it's very cold. So <laughs> so as a result, I have to, like I said, I have to get some molasses down in order to make ours. Are you able to run us through how you make rum? Like at a, at a broad scale, you don't need to share any of your IP with us. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, so broadly, um, so for to make rum in Australia, you have to first um, have a, a source of sugar because rum's made from sugar. So sugar cane. Uh, sugar or sugarcane byproducts. So you can make it from molasses, which 95% of the world's rums are made from, or the other 5% um, use a sugarcane honey or sugarcane juice. So in order to use sugarcane honey or juice, uh, as I said before, you have to have a 
uh, sugarcane plantation or access to sugarcane immediately because the second you create that, it destabilizes within like 12 hours. So you can't really use it beyond that point. Wow. But, yeah, but inversely, molasses can last for years and years. So um, molasses is quite easy to gain um, in the sense that they it's a byproduct of sugar production. So we get the molasses down here. Then we have uh, fermenters. We put the molasses into the fermenter. We get it to the right temperature. And then we add the yeast. The yeast then converts the, the sugars in there to alcohol and CO2. What we're after there is the alcohol though. So then the alcohol is after it's been fermented, say for a, a week, week and a bit, we then distill that. So we distill it twice. So we do a first distillation where we distill everything. And then our second distillation, we do what's known as cuts to make sure we're getting the main part of the spirit. And then once we have that main part of the spirit, some places in the world that would then be considered rum. But in Australia, it wouldn't be because we've got to age it for at least two years. So then it goes into barrel for two years. And then after that, we have rum. Quite a quite a long journey there. <laughs> so. I- how do you actually do the distilling bit? Is that the bit with all the awesome like glass work and the sort of the bubbling tubes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, so for distillation, we use a a hybrid copper still. So our still is a combination of both a pot and a column still. The way distillation works, it's basically a separation of compounds in there. So the uh, molasses beer or wash or whatever you want to call it goes goes into the still. And then because water has a different boiling point to alcohol, alcohol's at about 80 degrees when water's at about 100. Um, when you heat up that vessel, the, the alcohol um, turns to vapors first and then travels through the system. And then it goes counter to sort of a cooler area called condenser where the water runs like against it, converting those vapors back to liquid. And that's how you separate the alcohol from the wash and the water, essentially. So that's how you get the the higher alcohol by volume separated from that initial essential like beer essentially and then as that sort of travels through as well more water um, continues with it so the um, the ABV does start to drop as you distill longer because more water is boiling and being converted to vapor at the same time that's like a really delicate balance to get right to yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so um you, we've we've done a lot of it now, and we've found our perfect um, point to start and finish. And we also do it. Um, it's not only by like temperature and by like timing, because you can do some of this by rote, but ours is also done via taste and smell. So we also taste the spirit and smell the spirit as it's going through. And when we like it, we know if it's going well and when to sort of stop distilling and. Um, just start collecting, basically, because we can redistill any alcohol we don't like in future distillations as well. Oh, that's nifty. Yeah. Yeah, and it's at that point where you're including other senses that you've moved from being just a pure science into also adding in a bit of art as well. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's quite the combination. Any of the um, the craft beverage streams at this stage would really use both a combination of an art and a science. It's when you go into a much larger scale where you've really got to hold those ideals of maintaining that craft mentality in order to have the best product as you expand. And because we're looking at how we can increase our production as well, we're trying to make sure that we can still maintain our tenets of high quality and 
great flavors. And then further to that, it, it also extends into other products as you go forward. So for us, because we also make, we make a silver spirit, which is an unaged rum. It's called Misty Valley Silver Spirit. And then we also have a spiced rum. But because we also like to use the our unaged rum and put make liqueurs from it, we, we're using more of those that taste and those those senses to get what we think is the best tasting spirit or liqueur out of that. Because if we don't think it tastes the best, then why why won't anyone else think it's the best as well? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much experimentation? Like I'm assuming you have your own secret recipe. Yes. Yep. Yeah. How much experimentation went into nailing that like how 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 did that process go yeah so we did some research and development for our rum off-site with a couple of other distilleries and a couple of other places um, to make sure we sort of pinned down what we wanted as our our core flavors for our unaged rum and um, what our spiced rum would eventually be as well our um, near horizon spiced rum but we also wanted to really uh, hone hone in on what that is. So when we got our still up and running, because anytime, just because if you give someone the same equipment you've got and the same recipe, they're not necessarily going to make the same thing as you. So so someone trying to replicate what you're doing won't always come through in that instance. But for us, when we got up and running and tried and started uh, distilling at our site in New Norfolk, it was at the start of COVID. So we basically got to test our still out a, a bit with um, making some hand sanitizer as well. So, and but in the end, what we were putting into our hand sanitizer was actually great to begin with because we'd already done that research development and we were happy with that product. But hand sanitizer was more required than people wanting rum, I guess. So, so we made we got to test that out to begin with. But um, yeah, it was interesting to play in that space and sort of still do a bit of research development there with the um, the the idea that to know that people are going to get a get a benefit from it as opposed to just you know, ingest it down the track. And, yeah, so that was uh, that was an interesting way to start up for when we got started in our distillery in New Norfolk. Yeah, you got to do the very early 2020 pivot. <laughs> exactly. So pivoting left, right and centre at the start of 2020. So. <laughs> that that sounds like it would have been some high-quality boutique hand sanitizer. Yeah, it's, it smells really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for what we have left, it still smells really good. <laughs> what, a way, what a way to start a business. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just, um, at the start of COVID as well, we were trying to figure out, not figure out, but it was, it was lucky in the sense that we were, we had a, we had a decision point where it was like, do we focus on front of house or do we focus on back of house? And then we we're like, let's make sure our products are really good first. And because we decided to focus on building our distillery and creating our back of house instead of saying, oh, we've got these two products, let's sort of we know how to make those and let's not develop anymore because we focused on the back of house and the production side of things. We got lucky in the sense we could still continue to do that through COVID as opposed to other people who obviously had more front of house venues and they had to close down through those periods. So we were actually in a good position um, to continue producing throughout those not so great months, basically. So. Yeah, yeah, staying at home with your rum distillery. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not feeling that sympathetic yeah. for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, it was it was hard going. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> How do you go about experimenting to make these new products that you're talking about? How does that ideation and everything go? Yeah, it's it's generally uh, a bit of a discussion or a bit of a. It's like 
we just we have a chat about um, in the team, and we have a we we were sort of just playing with different ideas to begin with, and then we decided what do we want to do, and we were making rum, we we're making a we we're making a like we were making a spiced rum and we we're making a silver spirit and we decided that we did want to get into making liqueurs and we were trying to figure out what flavor of liqueur to make and we were in early like when we were saying like to develop our first liqueur we were in the discussion about what flavor that should be and i was always of the, the frame of mind that the first one should be something australian something close to home and we did talk about making a flavor along the lines of anzac biscuits because i spent some time in the army as well and obviously anzac biscuits is it's a good thing to have on anzac day for example but then we thought a bit more in detail about what that meant and that flavor was basically oats and golden syrup and sugar and we were like maybe not the greatest thing to imbibe as opposed to just eating a biscuit anyway so we thought at that stage what else is there and that's where we came up with um the lamington liqueur so those sort of flavors we're thinking like chocolate and strawberries and coconut and when we thought yeah they, they sound pretty good in a in a cocktail or a liqueur and we put them together and we were just like yeah this is awesome so so that's how we're um sort of frame of mind in that regards and then after that we did a coffee liqueur called the um martian sky coffee liqueur and for that we wanted to make a coffee liqueur because we love coffee and we drink a lot of coffee and also because we wanted to use local products where possible. So for the coffee liqueur and the lamington liqueur, we also have uh, local fruit in them. So for the lamington liqueur, we've used local strawberries from a local farm and um, for the coffee liqueur, we've used local raspberries. So we really wanted to experiment a bit with those flavors and we liked that um, it sort of gave those products a, an interesting dynamic as well. So so it's a bit of a, a discussion about how we come up with what flavors are coming up next. For me, my, my personal perspective in regards to the direction of the products that we're sort of going in is for liqueurs, you sort of equate them to a time of dessert. So I was like, well, what desserts can we sort of make into liqueurs that's where we came up with lamington and coffee something you would have with dessert so we're trying to figure out what comes next in that sort of dessert space in regards to liqueurs and then for for our spiced rums the first spiced rum we did which is our near horizon spiced rum that's a focus on the classic caribbean spice rum so we've got orange vanilla and cinnamon in there as the primary spices and then uh, we've also got some australian tasmanian botanicals and spices too and that's sort of a secret recipe component. But then going forward, sort of looking at what what other regions we can lean into for spiced rum. So should we make a like a, a South American spiced rum? Should we make a Southeast Asian? Should we make a Middle Eastern? Like we're talking about all these different flavors and what, what fruits and um, spices do come from certain areas in order to make um, our next spiced rum. So that's what we're sort of playing with at the moment as well. It does sound like fun stuff to play with. Yeah, exactly. And very delicious too. <laughs> just for the listeners who might be a little bit concerned that I brought you on just because I like talking about rum. Are That's you... all right. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. People. There is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, would you be up for touching a little bit on some of the science that turns up in this whole process? Because obviously there has to be a lot. Yeah, of course, of course. So there's there's science all the way through. So... In order to make the alcohol, obviously you've got the, the fermentation, which is uh, the 
chemistry side of things about getting the um the equation right in regards to the right amount of alcohol the right amount of yeast the right amount of nutrients if there's anything else going in there but also um, the right temperature if i didn't mention that further to that then the distillation is quite a science in its own right because you're you're playing with temperatures you got to know how the, the whole system works you're playing not only with chemistry in the distillation system but you're also playing with um physics as well because there's air pressures inside the system that occur and then there's also some engineering in regards to how the flow of the whole system works out as well and at what point what at what point what lever affects things in different ways because you've got a certain amount of cold water running through the system when you're heating it at the other end so all these sort of things come into to play with each other and then further to that which is a bit more of a, a dark art in my opinion is the the, the barrel aging science at the end of it, because there's a variety of different barrels you can use out there. Like the bourbon industry primarily supplies to the rum industry because bourbon barrels can only be used once. So with the Caribbean being so close to the United States where they make bourbon, the Caribbean actually benefited a lot from the former bourbon barrels. And we've done the same. So we use ex-bourbon barrels. And the science that we're sort of trying to figure out is how... Um, and we do um, regular assessments with um, regular tests of the alcohol to make sure the flavor is developing in the right way and that it's not um, becoming too oaky or taking on too many flavors that we don't want it to. But we're also playing with some other types of barrels. So like um, some former red wine barrels and some other different wine barrels as well to put our rum in. But the science in that regards as well is is quite interesting because once you put the alcohol into a barrel, you have a limited amount of headspace or oxygen at the top when you seal it and then as the temperature changes from day to night or just throughout the day or through seasons the barrel um, contracts and expands and draws the liquid into the wood and that's how it imparts its color and also cleans up the spirit as well so it's going through this entire um, other chemical process as well just in the barrel so and that's how over time the the flavor changes in that environment and the way so say you get different size barrels as well. You can get a 20 liter barrel, you can get a 10 liter barrel, but you can also use 100 or 200 or 500 liter barrels. It's, there's like a, an equation or whatever way you want to put it. It's about wood surface to liquid ratio. And the more contact there is between those two, I guess the more the, the flavor will be imparted upon the liquid essentially so and obviously if there's a lot of temperature change it means the barrels are contracting and expanding quite rapidly which means it might be doing it really quickly um, a lot of aging can occur in the summer months where it is hot and cold like in australia and tasmania where it's hot during the day and cold during the night so it's um it's interesting and really exciting to see what flavors are coming out of these different barrels and just because we put two barrels down on the same day with the same amount of liquid the flavors that are coming out of each of them can be quite different as well so it's just a that's why i call it a bit of a dark art you, we know the science of what's going on in there but why and there's subtle changes that's um that's a bit more um interesting in my opinion so that is a whole world that i never would have thought about it's fair. yeah <laughs> so with the the day the diurnal the day night thing and the temperature changing yep. so obviously tasmania victoria there is there's quite an extreme and there can be quite an extreme in one day in tropical areas yep. there isn't traditionally such a big extreme does that mean that the yep. rum that you're creating like is goes through a different aging 
process just due to the temperature? Yeah, basically. Um, it's the, It can be very much down to uh, heat and humidity, really, as well. Like the humidity in the air will affect how much how much evaporation occurs inside the barrel as well. And you can find that in different areas you will either because you'll you'll incur you'll um, incur some losses in the barrel through evaporation, but what evaporates can be very different depending on where you are. Because the two main things in the barrel are water and alcohol. So you may lose more water, and the alcohol volume might go, might increase. So just because you put it in at say sixty three percent, you might end up with alcohol at sixty four percent or sixty five percent by the time you. Uh, tested or decanted, but in other areas it'll actually decrease. So the alcohol by volume will um, be like 62 or 61, for example. So there's also those minor changes that occur in different places. Yeah, it's it's mostly due to those sort of um, environmental reasons why that occurs. Hence, people would put like wine in cellars and things, so the temperature was more stable. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So those sort of cool environments when you when you're sort of resting it and letting it age in that cooler environment you can control it more as well so for us we're like we don't have a we don't have a um like a, a humidity free environment basically our our barrels are in our regular distillery so whatever's happening to them is happening to them but we, we're, we're liking what's happening in there so we're, we're quite happy with that yeah they're not in some like locked and sealed vault <laughs> they're not buried 50 feet underground no <laughs> that's um that's for a few years down the track i believe so <laughs> <laughs> I like that. What you're drinking is naturally impacted by the Tasmanian environment surrounding it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Derwent Valley, which can be quite cold and quite misty, which is why we named one of the products Misty Valley, <laughs> is affecting the, the barrels and how they um, how they impact the flavour inside as well. Yeah. With what you're getting out of the barrels, are there ways of testing its flavour and I guess the, the qualities of the rum in a quantitative way like other than just you tasting it being and based on your years of expertise being able to say what qualities it has like are there scientific instruments or something you can use to measure it uh yeah there are um there's a whole bunch of different lab equipment you can you can use to uh test the range of um esters and congeners inside each each barrel or each each piece of liquid and you can actually pinpoint them down to to what they are but um we're we're relying more upon what we think tastes good and smells good at this stage and we're happy with the aging process that's occurring and we're more or less following our nose in this regards but there are certain tests you can you can do at uh, different laboratories in order to test what's in there and um, the range of equipment you can buy is quite quite wide (laughs) so yeah right so back to your actual job what does an average day at work look like for you uh, I go to the distillery and I see what's distilling because now I have a operations manager and a, an assistant distiller who work with me as well. So my um, my days on the on the tools essentially are more behind me than previously. But I also go out and I like to see what they're distilling and um, testing the flavour and also seeing what at what stage we're at with it as well. But further to that, we're also my day would consist of looking into our like branding development, marketing development as well, and which, which direction we're going with that sort of stuff, but also liaising with um, other businesses about how we can sort of work with them and 
develop our because we're in New Norfolk, we we'd like to work on local projects as well and sort of see how we can work with other people. But we're also working towards expanding our distribution within Tasmania, but also trying to look towards distributing into other parts of Australia as well. So that's something I've been working on quite a bit lately. So moving from from being on the tools to that sort of like strategic, yeah. bigger business stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the the, <laughs> the not as uh, romantic side of things in regards to distilling, but still in the distillery. So I still get to be in there and part of it, but it's um, I have to take the direction on which way the distillery goes. Being the director and the founder of it, and it means I still um, get to take part in tasting panels and the direction of what new products we're developing and which way we're going in that regards. But it's not just me on the still every day anymore so just distilling away which was nice when i was doing it but it's obviously as we progress we've had to take on other roles um as we go forward so that means that we'll have to look more into marketing sales business development and all those sort of things as well because um you know for the business to progress that's the direction we have to go in so does the distillery have a smell like are you able to describe that to the listeners <laughs> yeah it depends what time of day and what we're distilling really so so when we're distilling our molasses wash um for, during the distillation there's not much of a smell but once we open up the um the still at the end of the day to clean that's when the the cooked molasses smell will emanate through the distillery. And that's quite a, a sweet and, um, yeah, sweet's probably the best way to put it. But it's also quite a, uh, a wholesome smell as well. And it's it quite, and a warming smell in my opinion. It quite, it fills the distillery quite nicely. Um, and then when we're distilling our, our spirit on our second distillation, you'll just have more of a smell of rum <laughs> emanating through the distillery. But we've also got a, a quite a good airflow going through the distillery as well because um, that's required because of the, the, the danger of distilling, I guess, because it is quite flammable. So we have to make sure that fans are on and doors are open and all that sort of stuff when we're doing that because there's a lot of um, high vapour alcohol possibly in the air. So the more we can dissipate that, the better. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's a flammable environment as well. Yeah, exactly. So we're creating alcohol upwards of 80% ABV, which is highly flammable. So we've obviously got our precautions and safety measures to make sure everything's being done in the right way. How have you ended up in this job? Like you mentioned a career switch, but what was your path, say, from high school to where you are now? Uh, so I finished high school and joined the army full-time to, to be an officer. Partway through my training in that, I uh, switched from being a full-time army officer training to part-time, during which I finished my degree in New South Wales at UNSW. And then I then also applied for jobs around the place and got a job in the public service as well. So throughout that time, I was in the public service for about 10 years and was also in the Army Reserves for about 10 years as well. So interesting careers in both sides. But then after I got to my 10-year point, I um, was moving. I met my wife and we got married in that time as well. And we were having to be separate between Canberra and Sydney. And then as a result of that separation, we both ended up in Sydney again. And then we decided that the travel back and forward of the separation requirements for either either a job in the army or in the federal public service meant the separation 
um, all that movement was required, we decided to then travel to Tasmania and open a rum distillery because we knew we could stay together, but also follow what was part of my dream, which is something I've always wanted to do. I feel like you glossed over a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there is a lot in there, but um, yeah, getting from part A from start to finish, yeah, there was there was a lot of travel between Canberra and Sydney, and then. Yeah, like through my Army Reserve stuff, I was in the infantry as well and um, ended up in a, um, as a platoon commander in Sydney and then also a training officer, of training other officers as a captain in Sydney as well. And then um, after a while, I wanted to stop that career and I was still um, a public servant. So I was in the Attorney General's Department and worked in like records and database management and all that sort of stuff. And... I went, did that quite a lot, but there was obviously different job requirements in required me to move from Sydney to Canberra and to progress your career in a public service, you have to go to Canberra eventually. So I did. And then um, following off from that, my, my wife also at the same time when I got a promotion to go there, um, had a shop, uh, a business open in Sydney, which was a very good opportunity for her. But in the end, we decided that it was better for us to be together and she and I decided to move to Tasmania, like I said. So, <laughs> Fantastic. When did the passion for rum build up? Yeah, so that was probably during my time in the Army. Always had a passion. We always drank rum on special occasions on, on days such as Anzac Day and the like, but also it was it was always there at the back of my mind. I always had a deep deep history with it by being in the, um, the armed services. But then continuing on, my wife got me a gift of a nice bottle of rum at one point and after trying that I was just like sort of astounded but also amazed at the quality but also the fact that there was no real batch or small craft distilleries making rum. There was a couple popping up but there weren't any doing it with a focus and there was also no one really doing it besides us now in Tasmania. There was no one doing it or focusing on it in Tasmania. And my um my parents, my family all lived in Tasmania. That's why we moved down here to be close to them but also to start a rum distillery down here but it was also I was in a when I went down to when I came down here to visit my my family I caught up with my brothers in Salamanca and we were trying some different whiskeys and gins from local and we were just like it was disgusting and I was just like well there's no rum down here <laughs> why is there no Tasmanian rum so that's when we sort of um embarked upon our journey to sort of bring rum to the island of Tasmania and here we are <laughs> and hopefully they're grateful yeah hopefully <laughs> we've got a lot of rum so let's put it that way <laughs> did you start like with homebrew making your own or did you sort of know that it was the thing that you were going to commit to doing and sort of went full both feet in I sort of just went both feet in um I when I decided this is what I wanted to do and I sort of um, started doing the business development side of things about that there was no one making rum, there was no one, not that there was no one making, there wasn't much rum being made in Tasmania and there wasn't much um, craft rum being made across Australia. Oh, that's what I wanted to focus on and I had a real passion for it. So I I started by doing research development in regards to developing our, our flavours for what we wanted to eventually be our, to be our unaged rum, our silver spirit, which you can't call rum this has been aged two years. And then our our age, which would also become our age rum through the same recipe. Following on from that, that's how I got started in getting into distilling. I did an online diploma and then I also 
so an online certificate, and then also went overseas to do a lot of research, basically. So I went across to different, everywhere I went, I went to a different distillery. So I went to Southeast Asia, I went to places like Thailand and, and um, Japan to see what um, breweries and distilleries were doing in those sort of locations. Um, I also went to across the Caribbean to see what the different rum distilleries were doing, because that's where the, the home of rum is in the world. And then I went across to the United States as well to see what the, the American distilleries were making and how they were making rum. But then I also did a, a rum making course over in the United States as well to get the, the greater detail in a short amount of time um, because there wasn't any like rum making courses anywhere else that I could find in the world. So that was where I had to go. <laughs> I can't believe there is a rum making course. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So I had to travel over there and um, it was quite a trip and I learned heaps and it's, it's put me in a really good place for where we are now. And it's allowed me to not only learn about rum and the different types of rum, but also how to appreciate rum in different ways, but also the history of rum and the business development side of things as well, because that was, they were all the avenues I was looking at taking it. So it was, it was really a course focused on people looking to make rum in a small distillery. And that's what we were doing. So. That's so cool. <laughs> Is there any advice you'd give to a young person who's like, it'd be pretty cool to have my own distillery? <laughs> or they don't have to be young. Let's be real. They do <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to anyone. Um, yeah, I'd say just find out, speak to distillers, speak to brewers about what you want to do and how you want to make a certain product, whether it is rum or whether it's a, a gin or a whiskey. Just ask the questions. People are more than happy enough to talk about it. I am, if you ask me, but there's plenty of other people who are also quite open to talk about how to distill. The other thing I'd say as well is that the technology, in my opinion, to make rum or beer is directly scalable. So if you wanted to make, like our still is 250 litres, but if you wanted to make five, use a five litre still, it's the same processes and the same requirements of tasting and smelling, like, but it's just on a much bigger scale. So it's, um, it's about getting your hands on the gear and obviously being safe with it and understanding it and understanding the science and the, um, the engineering requirements behind it, but also that you can learn on smaller equipment. You don't have to be working in a massive distillery in order to learn how distillation works. That's fantastic, actually. That's really cool. So you can start small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. And also, I'm just going to point out that whilst, yes, there's a lot of science involved, it's not science unless you write it down. If you, if you do things, <laughs> you need to note it down so that if you get it right, you can do yeah. it again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So in that regards, we do keep very extensive records of everything we do and have from the very start. So we can see where we've distilled, fermented something, distilled something, see where that, like that initial molasses wash has gone through and what barrel that's gone into and what flavors that is going to be like in two years. So we can actually draw a direct line. If this is the best, what did we do way back then? And actually be able to repeat that. I'd be crushing if you didn't. And you just made like, it would be very crushing. <laughs> do you feel just like, do you feel like the hardest bit is making the rum or is it actually all the other businessy stuff? Uh, I'd say making a good product is half the battle. Um, it's The other half is getting that product, whatever you've made, uh, in front of people and 
asking them to try it and then if they like it asking them to to buy it obviously because it is a it is a business so um just because you've made a product doesn't mean it's going to sell itself there's a lot of work and from what i've seen and what I've done, passion really shines through when you're selling something. If you're passionate about what you make and what you've done, that really helps you display that passion to other people. And then people are also interested in what you're doing when they see that someone passionate has really put in an effort to make it as well. So I'd say about 50-50, basically, in answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was suspecting. But... Yeah. <laughs> are, there, are there any misconceptions or myths or anything about like in the general public about rum or distilling that you'd like to squash um just that there like rum is like rum can be uh, excellent quality and as high quality as any great whiskey or gin as well um some people don't realize that or think that and we're very obviously passionate about rum that's why we're making it and we that's why we've come down this this road in order to make it and share it with others but the other thing that's important is that you share it with people like you you do have a drink that you like and if you do like it share it with your friends share it with your family because all those sort of um, interesting experience in regards to unique products and the like aren't, aren't great alone with that's what we want to like this one of our visions is like when you have a drink make sure you you share it especially if you find something you really like further to that it's really um misconceptions i no i think that's probably about it actually i think that's it's just great that there are more people um, finding rum and enjoying rum and, and we love rum. But I guess the other thing I want to say is that with rum, we we drink it a certain way because that's how we enjoy it. But if someone else enjoys rum a different way, we want people to enjoy it how they enjoy it. So whether they drink it neat or on the rocks or in a cocktail, whatever, <laughs> enjoy it how you want to enjoy it. And that's 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 our sort of main tenant behind it as well is just as long as you're enjoying what you what you're drinking and what you're imbibing that's that's that makes us happy as well <laughs> don't be don't get too snobbish yeah no nah, but like just enjoy it basically like if you're having if you're having a good if you enjoy it more on the rocks or you enjoy it with a bit of water in there or just a bit of light up to you we we're not um we're not precious about how we we drink our rum so and i think like in fairness when a huge amount of passion and love has gone into a product like you don't need often. You don't need to um, water it down so much. Like the the, the flavor, the love shines through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we yeah, we're really happy with it. So. Is there anything we <laughs> haven't touched on that you'd like to cover? Oh, actually, there is one thing. Yeah. So I mentioned before that I'm not sure if it was before we started talking, but that I everything we try and do at the distillery as well, we try and do with um sort of like a, a vision of looking forward. So we were trying to sort of find new practices and look at new things and way look at new ways to do new things as well. So as part of that, that's one of our tenets is about being a rebellious spirit, basically. We want to be a rebellious spirit. We want to um, make rebellious spirits as well. So our spirits are different and challenge you, but also we want to have what is inside of us, a rebellious spirit. So in those regards as well and going forward, we... Uh, like I said, we're looking for a modern take on things. Our rums and our rums names are all sort of have a sort of sci-fi tinge to them as well. So like our, our first spice rum is called Near Horizon Spice Rum, which is um, the Near Horizon is, I believe, the, the way you measure a, a black hole. 
and then our lamington is called Moss Australis lamington liqueur. And because I like sci-fi and am a nerd, I the, the reason behind that is like as though if Australia had a drink or had a city or an outpost on Tatooine from the planet the planet in Star Wars, I reckon it would be called Moss Australis, and that's what that's what I reckon they'd be drinking there, the lamington liqueur. And then we also have a Jovian wilderness um, dry gin and a Martian Sky coffee liqueur. And the reason behind those two names is the coffee liqueur has a bit of raspberry. And I've pictured that as being the, the red planet itself with the, the coffee component being the darkness that surrounds it. And then the Jovian wilderness is Jovian being of Jupiter is relating back to the core of um, Jupiter, but probably being about the size of Earth and that the rest of the planet is the the gin wilderness or our botanicals um, and everything that we've put into that gin is the rest of it. But at the core, which is the same size of Earth, is our rum as well. So that's what we like to do and be a bit playful in that regards. So. And I swear everyone's waiting to the last couple of minutes of the podcast to bring up like the coolest topics. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> Not at all. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, nerdy rum. Mm, so we love it. <laughs> and we're gonna you gotta have your fun where you can, and that's one thing we really enjoy. So. Oh, totally. And <laughs> you know, there, there's no shortage of. Uh, inspirational material out there in the universe for you then there there is most certainly not <laughs> do you have a favorite planet uh i'd say it is mars probably yeah because it's just the most interesting and we'll see if we get there at some stage so. yeah, it's pretty close <laughs> yeah it's pretty close but um we still haven't made it yet so <laughs> oh fantastic i think There'll be some pretty happy people listening. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to wrap up on that very happy note, is there anyone you would like us, everyone who's listening, to give a virtual high five to? Anyone who thinks doing an awesome job and deserves lots of accolades? Uh, I'd say um, my my wife and the rest of my team at the distillery as well. Like my wife works super hard and she's been an awesome partner and really has helped me get the distillery to where it is today. And the rest of the team at the distillery all do a fantastic job and just really proud of them and everything they've done to get us to where we are and hopefully onto bigger and better things in the future as well. Looking forward to visiting and checking it all out for sure. Uh, we're looking forward to having you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show, Taryn. It has been wonderful and I, I think we'll have a, hopefully a lot of happy listeners. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this podcast, you're an absolute gem of a human being, and you should head over to avidresearch.com.au, sign up for our amazing email newsletter, and get all the download on the upcoming episodes, and maybe even get a bit of a sneak peek about what's coming next. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you should definitely subscribe. We're on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and even Google these days. Thanks.